he's going to be imparting. And he's going to be imparting a gift that the Lord has given to him into those who will be receiving that impartation. He has the ministry of an evangelist, biblical evangelist. And when we think of evangelists today, we think of, of uh, someone who travels from city to city, state to state, country to country. Uh, but the biblical uh, term evangelist refers to people who sit down and open the Word of God and share the Word of God with a person who has not yet obeyed the gospel and convinces them and persuades them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Brother Colbeth brings to First Apostolic Church the ministry of the evangelist. But he can't do it by himself. He's going to have to lean upon those who are going to receive this word. And I'm ready to receive. How many are ready to receive what thus saith the Lord? Hallelujah. Amen. We're going to look tonight to the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, the 22nd chapter. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to haul off and preach or teach or preach or reach or do something. But I feel led of the Lord to deliver a word from the Lord to you tonight. Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to begin reading at the 21st verse, Luke 22, 21. Behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to inquire, the disciples, among themselves, which of them it was that should do this thing. And then I want you to notice this next verse. There was also... A strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest notice that when they started to look around to see with whom they could find fault the next step was posturing themselves to become the greatest so there was also a strife among them which of them should be accounted the greatest and Jesus said unto them the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors but you shall not be so but he that is greatest among you let him be as the younger and he that is chief as he that doth serve for whether is greater he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth is not he that sitteth at meat but I am among you as he that serveth. Hallelujah. Let him that is greatest among you, he said in another place, be servant of all. I would like to preach to you this evening on the subject, the greatest. The greatest. Could we go to the Lord together in prayer? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. Lord, we love you with a love we didn't even know we had. It wasn't until we understood that you loved us that we began to love you. And we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We feel your spirit searching our souls right now. Search us, oh God. Know us, oh God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that your word would have free course. Let it go forth with clarity and with power. Lord, with accuracy in the precious name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would minister to each and every individual that is in this place. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The world's definition of what may be the greatest is different than God's definition of what may be the greatest. God has a particular meaning behind the word greatest and that is a far cry from what this world would say. Perhaps if you were to ask somebody candidly or randomly on the street what came to mind when they heard the words, I am the greatest? 
They might tell you Muhammad Ali. That's probably what you thought of when I first said I am the greatest. And there is absolutely no question that Muhammad Ali excelled in his sport to a far superior degree than his competitors. He had a swiftness to his feet that was unparalleled. And not just to his feet, but to his torso. And his feet would, uh, would float, as he said, like a butterfly. Dance like a butterfly. And, and the movement of his body was, seemed to be uh, almost unearthly that a person would be able to move the way that he did. And of course, you had to be careful because not only did he dance like a butterfly, but he stung like a bee. And he'd catch you off guard. And you end up with whiplash and down for the count. And he would walk away from the ring and compared to those that he had just confronted and encountered, he could, he could say he was the greatest by, by all earthly standards. He could say that in his field of expertise and athletics that he was the greatest. Years ago, before the middle of the century, a great sculptor uh, went to work on putting together what we now know in Rapid City, South Dakota as Mount Rushmore. Upon that face of the Dakota mountains, he, he, he sculpted the, the uh, profiles and the facial features of four great presidents of the United States. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Theodore Roosevelt, all of whom would perhaps fit into anybody's definition of what would constitute a great president. In fact, when people consider Mount Rushmore, going back to the subject of sports, they consider Mount Rushmore has, has become a term of its own. Regarding any topic, somebody might say, who would you put on the Mount Rushmore of greatest basketball players? Who would you put on the Mount Rushmore of the greatest football players? Who would you put on the Mount Rushmore of, of greatest business icons? And who would you put on the Mount Rushmore of great actors or actresses? And the world has their standards. The world has their way of viewing things, people who excel to a degree that, that surpasses the competitors in a given field, uh, certainly constitutes in the eyes of this world as some of the greatest. When you look at a sports figure, you judge them by the championships that they've won. You judge them perhaps by the awards they've received, whether they've been deemed most valuable player, and how often were they deemed this most valuable player, and what do their statistics look like, and how do their statistics measure up to others in their particular sport. And, and these are the ways in which the world determines the greatest. But Jesus was sitting, the Bible says, over by the treasury. And there were two people that walked in to the temple. And as they did, Jesus observed them and had his disciples to observe them. And these two people, in fact, cast their offerings into the treasury. And this first man, when he cast his offering into the treasury, it was a coveted kind of offering it was the kind of offering that anybody who's trying to accomplish anything financially would like to receive and when he put it in there Jesus took note of it but really didn't think much of it you want to know why because he knew that this man had a tremendous amount of means and that the amount of money that he put into the offering was a, actually a meager representation of how much he actually had. But in came a little widow woman. A widow with two mites. We know her as 
The widow with the might, and the term the widow's might has become even a catchphrase in our culture today. You want to know why? Because Jesus, when he saw her offering, he not only took note, but he extolled the offering that she gave. Because those two mites were all this woman had to give. And if Jesus were to judge the greatest offering, we probably would have gone with the guy who gave a lot. But Jesus has a different definition of greatness. And what he calls the greatest and what we call the greatest are two separate things. He told of a day in which two men came into the temple to pray. One came into the temple and prayed a, a very elaborate prayer. It was articulate. It was impressive. It covered the bases. And, and, and then a man next to him was a sinner and he mistakenly said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Like this publican, for instance. Now, some of you might have prayed that before. You might have thanked God before that you're not in a position as other people. Maybe you've seen somebody in a position of great distress that perhaps they brought on themselves and you think to yourselves, thank God that I'm not in that position. But be careful because if it weren't but for the grace of God, there go you and I. And Jesus paid no attention to this man's prayer. Regardless of how elaborate, regardless of how articulate, regardless of how profound, Jesus paid no attention to this man's prayer. But then this little publican that he was kind of dismissing, the, the rich man was dismissing, the Pharisee was dismissing the publican. Jesus heard his prayer when he cried out, I'm a sinner. And he smote his breast. That's all his prayer was. Lord, I am a sinner. And Jesus said, if I had to judge between these two prayers as to which was the greatest, I would pick the prayer that to some seemed so feeble and so finite and so insignificant. But we must understand that what Jesus considers great and what this world considers great are two entirely different things altogether. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by their own wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. See, what God considers foolishness, the world considers wisdom. And what the world considers wisdom, God considers foolishness. And what God considers wisdom, the world considers that foolishness. It's all backward. It's all turned around. And if we're not careful, we will develop a mindset like the world instead of a mindset like God. Notice what the Apostle Paul goes on to say. He said the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we... Preach Christ crucified. They're looking for a sign. And they're looking for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Paul went directly to the heart of the matter. And said that the preaching of the cross. Is to them that perish foolishness. This is the foolishness to the world. But it is the wisdom of God. What kind of a king would lay down his life for his subjects. What kind of a king, in order to rule over all things, would lay down his life in humble submission to death, and not just any death, but to the death of the cross? What kind of a king turns the other cheek when smitten on the face? What kind of a king would give you his 
cloak as well as his garment. What kind of a king, when asked to walk a mile, would walk the extra mile? This is the kind of king that the world cannot understand. But Jesus is the kind of king that you and I need. He's the only king that can save the human soul. No king that ever walked this earth was capable of saving the human soul. They can extol and they can exalt historical figures all they want. But the greatest, hallelujah, is Jesus Christ. Jesus said that Solomon was wise and that the queen of the south came to the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He said that when Jonah preached the gospel to Nineveh, that they repented at the preaching of Nineveh. Yet behold, a greater than Jonah is here. It doesn't matter who you're talking about, whether it's Peter the Great, Darius the Great, Alexander the Great, nobody's greater than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the greatest. He is the greatest. He is the greatest. But his greatness is different than the kind of greatness that you're used to. His kind of greatness, hallelujah, far exceeds the kind of greatness that this world could ever understand. This world's leaders were able to conquer whole nations, were able to conquer lands. They would move in upon unsuspecting armies and they would impose their might and they would lay waste to hundreds and thousands of soldiers and they would plunder and pillage villages and cities and towns and they would they would, they, would, uh, they would destroy the former kings and, and political dignitaries and have them executed. And they would put forth such a horrible and horrific display of fear to strike terror in the hearts of the people they had just imposed their will upon. But that's not how Jesus conquers. And Jesus conquered something that none of them could ever conquer. They might have conquered a neighboring country, but Jesus conquered death. They couldn't conquer death. Death took all of them down. Some of them were assassinated. Some of them died of old age. Some of them died of incurable illnesses. But when Jesus died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And he rose from the dead victorious. Because Jesus conquered something they couldn't conquer. Because he was greater than any king that walked this earth. He was greater than any governor. He was greater than any potentate. He was greater than any tyrant. He was the greatest. And he is the greatest. Through servanthood, he conquered death. Through meekness, he conquered hell. Hallelujah. Through kindness and love, he conquered the grave. Nobody would consider those to be the qualities of a great leader. As a matter of fact, it led the children of Israel to reject him. Because they were so infatuated with the world's standard of greatness. That when Jesus came into the picture, appearing as a babe in a manger, instead of being hoisted up, as a display before the people in the royal courts, he was, he was laid off into some little uh, stable next to an inn. There wasn't any room for him in the inn. His beginnings were so humble. And the way that he entered this world, it was so humble. And when he came riding into the city on that amazing Sunday that we now call Palm Sunday, he didn't come riding in on a white stallion. That's coming, but that didn't happen on that day. He came riding in on a donkey. Everything about this man, he had no home in which to live. He had no bed upon which to lay his head. He didn't know where his food was going to come from. He just knew that it was going to come. When you asked him what he was worried about, he said, I'm not worried about anything. I'm like the lily in the field. The lily in the field has nothing to worry about because God clothes the grass of the field. Now, don't mistake me. Don't mistake him. Don't mistake. He was not a lazy man. He was a working man. But the work that he did was healing the sick and opening the eyes of the blind and unstopping the ears of the deaf. He was every 
nobody's servant. There was no problem too little. There was no problem too big. If somebody needed a coin, he would send them to the lake to bring the coin out of the fish's mouth. And if somebody needed their brother raised from the dead, even though it had been four days since he had died, Jesus would go to Lazarus's gravesite and call him forth from the grave. There was no problem too big. He was the servant of all. There was no problem too small. He was the servant of all. Service was his majesty. Service was his governorship. Service was his strategy. Service when he took upon him the form he did not take upon himself the form of a mighty king he did not take upon himself the form of a potentate he did not take upon himself the form of a dictator he took upon himself the form of a servant and he became obedient and he became obedient all the way until he died even the death of the cross hallelujah that's Jesus there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. He was meek. He was humble. He was kind. He was compassionate. He was loving. He was gentle. He was good. He was firm in his convictions. He was focused on his purpose. I said he wasn't a lazy man. He was working all the time. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was walking up and down the streets of the city so the blind people could touch him he was walking up and down the streets of the city so women with issues of blood could reach out and touch the hem of his garment he was walking up and down the streets of the city serving 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 and half the time he would tell people make sure you don't tell anybody who did this because he wasn't trying to build a reputation as a matter of fact it was just the opposite the bible said he made himself of no reputation Hallelujah. He deliberately said, do not give me a reputation because I don't want to have to live up to a reputation. Why wouldn't he want to live up to a reputation? You know, some of us are so busy trying to live up to a reputation, we can't be like Christ. Jesus said, don't give me, that's man's stuff, reputation. You know, we get caught up in, the, in, in, in kind of uh, putting off a good image. You know, there's only one image that the Bible really qualifies, and that's Jesus. The Bible says he's the express image of God's person. Every other image is forbidden. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And here we are trying to put off such a good image. We want to be seen as, as with it or having it together. We want to be seen as having our act together. You know, you, you, if, if you're so worried about having your act together, that makes you an actor. You're putting on a show. That's not the point. The point is be like Jesus. The point is be like him. Be made in his mold. Be made in his image. We need to be like Christ. And if you're going to be like Christ, there's only one way to be like Christ, and that is to serve. That is to serve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, we know that Jesus could mix it up when he needed to. He walked into the temple and they were selling uh, pigeons and doves and trying to make money off of the sacrifice and it just it must have caught Jesus on a Monday or something I mean it was it just got under his skin and he walked into that temple and threw those tables over threw all their money everywhere all of their all of the merchandise they were selling and he grabbed whips and started to beat those who were selling them and, and so that, yeah he's got that on his resume he did do that and he will do that if you push him too far to the edge. But that's not typically the way Jesus would respond to things. But when it came to desecrating God's house of prayer, he will do what it takes to sanctify the house of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus isn't about creating a den for thieves. He's about creating a house of prayer. 
He's about serving. He's about serving. He's about putting himself out there so that people can be saved, so that people can be healed, so that people can be set free. I want you to know that what we're doing tonight and tomorrow morning is for the purpose of people being healed, people being saved, people being set free. Hallelujah. This isn't just another workshop. This isn't just another seminar. This is an impartation of servanthood. This is an impartation of servitude. This is an impartation of what Jesus has called us to do. Hallelujah. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I'm telling you, we can get it mixed up sometimes. I'm glad we clap our hands, but he didn't say, go ye into all the world and clap your hands. I'm glad we sing and shout, but he didn't say, go ye into all the world and sing and shout. I'm glad, ladies and gentlemen, that we dance in the spirit. I'm glad that we, that we, that we give in an offering. I'm glad that we build buildings. I'm glad that we, that we have land that we're going to build another building on. I'm grateful for all of the departments and the works of the ministry. But we must remember that all of that is for one singular purpose. And that is to preach this gospel to every creature. When we sing songs, we're singing songs to every creature. When we worship, we're preaching to every creature. Everything we do in this building is to preach the gospel to every creature. This message itself is going to be on a podcast because we're reaching, we're reaching every creature, everybody who will hear the gospel. Hear what thus saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you have to understand, God has people ready to stand in your pathway. You've already passed them many times. But because perhaps you weren't ready or perhaps you weren't paying attention or noticing, maybe it slipped by you. He'll bring them back in your pathway because he's so eager to save their soul. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. I pray that everything that is taught tonight and tomorrow morning will sink so deep into our spirits, so deep into our souls that a holy boldness will come upon us and that we will open the word of life and we will speak the word of life to every creature who will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. No ministry is too big. No ministry is too small. Lord, if you want me to preach at a convention, in the Philippines I'll preach to a convention in the Philippines but if you want me to sit down at a dining room table with one individual and open the word of life hallelujah I'll sit down at that dining room table and open the word of life you don't have to be the most qualified of speakers you don't have to be the most articulate you have the Holy Ghost you have the name of Jesus you have the power of God you have what it takes Hallelujah. You might have a particular definition of greatest, but God's definition of greatest is simply a servant. This is why when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, he said, the first on this world shall be last. That's why, that's why we don't need to clamor to be first in this world. Kind of scares me if I'm going to be first in this world. Where does that put me in the kingdom? Because the first shall be last. Sometimes I, I, sometimes I, I, I hear a, a reward come my way. And I think to myself, I, 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 I want my reward to be in heaven. Even though it's a well-intentioned reward. But God, don't let me get so focused on the way the world may see it. That I forget the way you might see it because God has a definition of greatness now the disciples continually struggled with this idea of what was uh, what was the definition of greatness and throughout the gospels they this isn't the only time I read to you a passage of scripture where Jesus says there's going to be somebody to betray me Who's going who's gonna to sell me out for 30 pieces of silver. And he's in this room. 
And the disciples immediately looked around and thought, well, who's it going to be? Probably John. John always laying his head on his shoulder and, and, and trying to butter up. It's probably, it's probably John. It's probably Peter. Peter's all the time running his mouth. I knew he's up to something. It's probably Thomas. He doubts everything Jesus says. And they're looking around. And you got to be careful with that. Because when you look around trying to decide who's what and measure everybody up and, and, and you're secretly finding fault in people, it, it sets you up for pride. Because the very next thing they did after they tried to find out who was going to do wrong, they started looking at one another saying, which one of us is the greatest? So it goes from you looking around to everybody who you think isn't doing right and then it quickly turns into you looking at yourselves trying to make a case for why you're better than other people. And so they looked at one another and said, well, maybe I should be the greatest. I don't think you should be the greatest because I got something on you. I know what you did and such and such day and, 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 and they're, they're, they're bickering about who the greatest is and so finally they look at Jesus and say who is the greatest and Jesus didn't say Muhammad Ali when they asked him who is the greatest Jesus said that he who is greatest is the servant of all we're not like the Gentile kings who exercise lordship over people. We're not like the Gentile kings who look at those that they have authority over and they exercise this authority and they call themselves benefactors. I am being good to you by exercising all of this authority over you. When we talk about authority, we're talking about servanthood. We talk about, you even know what gives you authority in a person's life? Servanthood. You want to take authority over a situation that a person is dealing with? If you've got an individual right now in your life that you can think of that is wrestling with principalities and powers and they don't know how to overcome it and you're trying to find a way to step into their world and help them overcome this principality and power, the way you have authority with people is through servanthood. When you love them, when you serve them, when you bless them, when you reach out to them, when you pray for them, when you're there for them, that's when you have authority. That's where true authority comes from. When you teach Bible studies, you're not just involving yourself in another ministry of the church you are involving yourself in the depth of servanthood you are availing yourself to the call of God to the will of God to the service of God and it's more than a bible study chart it's more than just trying to get through a lesson you're there to listen to what their need is you're there to tune into their spirit you'll start teaching this word of God and Brother Colbert is going to give you the instruction tomorrow. He's going to give you the, uh, the, the systematic approach that you need to take. And, and in all of that, he'll be the first to tell you that even in that systematic approach, there are times that the Spirit begins to move. And when the Spirit begins to move, you flow with the Holy Ghost as it is appropriate and decent and in order. And let the Lord minister through you because you're not there as a hireling. You're there as a servant of Almighty God to do his work and to do his will it's the greatest it's the greatest it's the greatest and you know what you're going you're gonna to teach Bible studies to people who are going through divorces and you're going to realize that your involvement with them goes deeper than just this, just this one session be a servant unto them you're going to be teaching people whose kids are going through strife and turmoil and they don't know what to do about it. And God is going to use you as a servant unto them. And you're going to be anointed of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. To do a work of God in their lives. You're going to run into people who find out have diseases and sicknesses and get bad reports from the doctor and the Lord is going to have you on site as a servant of the Lord praise God the spirit of the Lord is upon you because he hath anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor hallelujah to bind up the brokenhearted to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach deliverance to the captives the spirit of the Lord is upon you you are the servant of God 
And Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything that he's not willing to do. Jesus was a servant. I'll go a step further. Jesus is a servant. We sometimes think that, oh, Jesus spent three and a half years on earth being a servant so then he could die, be buried, raised from the dead, and then he can be a king and he doesn't have to be a servant anymore. You See, you missed it. You missed it, you missed it, you missed it. His service is his majesty. I know he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, but his throne is servanthood. If you don't believe he's a servant, try this. Just call his name. Just call his name. Hallelujah. Because I'm going to tell you something. He could be right now comforting somebody in Ethiopia. But when you call his name, he's here. Hallelujah. He's as close as the mention of his name. He could right now be comforting a family in the hospital someplace. But when you call his name, he's here because he's omnipresent. He's a servant to all. He's here to minister healing. He's here to minister word. He's here to minister with his presence one of the things that's so powerful about ministry is the presence of God and the presence of the minister I have found that one of the most powerful things I can do is just be somewhere oh I don't know what prayer to pray you don't always have to know what prayer to pray If you do, open your mouth, the Lord will fill your mouth. You don't always have to know what message to preach, what Bible study to teach. But the power of of your presence is like the power of the presence of God. And so obviously we're not omnipresent like God, but the body of Christ is to be designed in such a way that, that the whole body can go into motion and people can be where God wants them to be when God wants them to be there. And this is one of the reasons why we're coming up under Brother Colbreth to learn and to hear what the Lord has given him for us. Let him impart to you the word of the Lord. He has lifted my arms in so many ways as a minister at First Apostolic Church. But tomorrow, we have to lift his arms. Because the Lord uses this man. Let me tell you something about Brother Colbreth. I'm talking about the ministry of an evangelist. I'm in, where was I? I think I was in, uh, I don't remember where I was. I was at Sonny's Barbecue, so I must have been in the south. I was in Atlanta. That's where it was. And, and I was stopping in at Sonny's Barbecue, and there was a voicemail on my phone. I was in a particular area where there was no reception for my cell phone. And I had a voicemail from Runjif Subramanian. And Brother Fazel Colbreth. And what had happened on that day, Jiv Subramaniam had been tarrying for the Holy Ghost. And he went to his parents' house to help them with some yard work. He was mowing their lawn in the backyard. And while he's mowing their lawn, he said, God, I want you to pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. I know how it's supposed to work. It's, I'm suppo- we're supposed to have some great singing and wonderful worship. And we're supposed to take up a good offering. And then we're going to have prayer requests and everybody come down. I understand how it's supposed And I'm supposed to preach a masterpiece message. I know. That's, what, that's how I envision it. How I envision it's supposed to work. And then I'm going to make an altar call. And the whole church is going to flood the whole place. we got to move up here. The platform has to come up here because the whole church is filling the altar area. That's how it's supposed to. And then Jib, and then Jib can get the Holy Ghost. But God says, I'll fill you with the Holy Ghost whenever and wherever you are. He called me, couldn't get through because of the bad cell reception. So he left a voicemail message, called Brother Colbreth. And when he called Brother Colbreth, he said, Brother Colbreth, I've got to tell you something. He said, I'm out here. Lord, help us. He said, I'm out here in the backyard. And I'm, and I'm calling upon the Lord because I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And while he is standing in his backyard, his parents' backyard, 
And on the phone with Brother Colbert, he said, there's something coming over me. I have a praise in my spirit, and I don't know how to get it out. And Brother Colbert said, Jiv, just lift up your hands right now and begin to praise the Lord. And Brother Colbert prayed him through to the Holy Ghost right there over the phone. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, I'm not, I'm not flattering Brother Colbert or trying to butter him up, but I'm telling you, that's an anointing of God. That's an anointing of God. That's a gift of God, and he's going to impart that to you. In Jesus, don't you be afraid. When somebody calls you and says, hey, I need some prayer right now because there's something coming on me, you speak into their life. You're a servant of the Lord. You're a servant of the Lord. It's the greatest thing you can do. Just open up your mouth. Stop what you're doing. Drop what you're doing and say, God can fill you with the Holy Ghost right now, my brother. And God will use you and anoint you to do just that. And so the scripture teaches us exactly what the matter of a servant is. This was a common problem with the disciples. They were routinely, routinely having issues wondering who it was that was the greatest. Every gospel writer describes it on a couple of occasions that these disciples would would get into these arguments about who's the greatest among us. You know, we do the same thing. We do it when we get our feelings hurt. We do it when somebody else gets recognition and we don't. Oh, you might not want to admit that you're arguing about who's the greatest, but that's what your spirit is saying. You do it when you get offended. You do it when you feel overlooked. You do it when you feel unappreciated. You're, you're arguing about who's the greatest. And Jesus is trying to tell us that's not the point. You're going by the world's standard. You're going by who gets credit. You're going by who gets the MVP award. You're going by who won the championship. You're going by who has the most statistics. That's what you're, I'm looking at an altogether different metric system. So Jesus, they asked him the question. The Bible says they came to him and they asked him this. They said, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they're waiting for Moses, Elijah, Abraham, David. And Jesus said, actually, if you'll pardon me, I'll bring the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he's right there. Hey, little guy, come over here. He brings a child into the mix and says you don't know his name you don't know where he came from you don't know who his parents are but I'm trying to tell you I don't care how many demons you cast out and I don't care how many how many miracles you do how many blind eyes open how many ears are unstopped if you don't become like a little child then, then, then you, you have no part with me he said in verse 4 of Matthew 18 whosoever Therefore, shall humble himself as this little child. The same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you something. You know, I talked about sports figures. I talked about athletics. I talked about politicians and, and the great metrics they have to determine greatness. You know, we've got it in the church as well. Carnality can seep into the church. And we can, we can, we can measure greatness by who has the best position and who has a title and, and who has most accolades and, and who has the most stats of how many people got the Holy Ghost and how many people got baptized and how many, how many people, uh, uh, how many uh, members a church has. And, and we go about all of these. Those are all carnal measurements. Those are all carnal measurements. And, 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 and the Bible says as much. As a matter of fact, did you know Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet ever born among women? He said there was not a greater than John the, John the Baptist. No greater prophet. Now, folks, I want, this is why that's amazing. Because John the Baptist performed no miracle. Are you kidding me? He just said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet. That means he's greater than Moses. Moses part of the Red Sea. John the Baptist performed no miracle. The Bible, literally, the Bible says John the Baptist performed no miracles. And Jesus, the author and the finisher, said he's the greatest prophet ever born among women. Elijah called fire down from heaven. John the Baptist is greater. Moses parted the Red Sea, pulled bread from heaven, water out of a rock, healed poisonous waters by putting a stick in them. Elisha Raised a guy from the dead after he was dead. 
The guy was dead. They threw him into Elijah's grave. When his bones hit the prophet's bones, the man came back to life. John the Baptist was greater, performed no miracle. Because God's measurement of greatness is different than your measurement and my measurement of greatness. We put people on pedestals, and God says if you put them on a pedestal, that's not great. That's not great. Get off the pedestal. You don't covet a pedestal. Don't covet a pedestal. You be careful because when people put you on a pedestal, pride can get in your spirit. Pride can get in your heart. Pride can get in your soul. And all of a sudden, when you're asked to do something for the Lord, it's more of a drudgery than it is a cheerful opportunity to serve Him. John the Baptist, you know what he did do? He prepared the way of the Lord. He prepared the way of the Lord. You know what he did do? He moved the brush out of people's paths. And he quoted the scripture. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You know what he did do? He walked into people's living rooms and set up a Bible study chart and removed the brush from their path and said, come and follow Jesus. You know what he did do? He, he did help people clear their mind of all the religious debris that had clouded their thinking for so many years. That's what John the Baptist did. No miracles, but he prepared the way of the Lord. You have an opportunity through teaching home Bible studies to prepare the way of the Lord in people's lives. Get ready. Get ready. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. There is no shortage of need for teaching Bible studies. The influx of, of people requesting Bible studies is absolutely enormous. It's overwhelming. Brother Colbert has had to send out pleas saying, listen, anybody who can help me, because we have such an overload of people who need to hear the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to stand before God one day and Him ask us why we didn't take it seriously when people were saying teach us the word of God teach us the word of God teach us the word of God open up your heart open up your Bible open up your mouth and share with me the word of the Lord you're getting ready to meet some of the people that will be a part of your life for the rest of your life you're getting ready to meet people that you didn't know even existed and you're going to lay hands on people and God is going to heal people through your ministry you have gifts of the spirit you didn't know you had some of you have gifts of healing that are lying dormant because you've not been in an environment where somebody needed healing and you were the only one that's Holy Ghost filled and available it's easy to sit in a church with 300, 350, 400 people all worshiping God, all talking in tongues, knowing somebody will pray them through. Somebody will lay hands on them. Somebody will anoint them with oil. But when you're the only one in the house and there's four family members saying, we need Jesus, you watch how the word of wisdom flows. You watch how the word of knowledge flows. You watch how the working of miracles flow. You watch how the gifts of faith and the gifts of healing will flow through you. Hallelujah. You are, hallelujah, the baptizer. Glory. I'm going to tell you something. They need to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Fill up their, their bathtub and baptize them in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about get ready because we are going to move into a dimension of Holy Ghost power. And it is brought on by simple service. Lord, whatever you have for me. Whatever you have for me, I will go where you tell me to go. I'll walk into those places and teach the word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. As great as John the Baptist was, as great as John the Baptist was, this is what the Bible says about him. The Bible says that there was no greater prophet born among women than John the Baptist. And even he isn't as great as the least in the kingdom of heaven. And we know who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven is he will humble himself as this little child.
and say, Lord, I don't have it all together. You know what I love about children? If children learn something, they want to talk about it. If they learn something, they have to share it with the world. That's why parents are very, very careful with what they tell their children. Because they know it's going to come out at Thanksgiving dinner at the most inopportune time. Because if kids know it, they're going to tell it. Hallelujah. If you know he's a savior, tell it. If you know he delivers to the uttermost, tell it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't have to be a theologian. Tell what you know. Share what you know. You know how many Bible studies I've taught where a question came to me and my response was, you know, I'm going to have to get back with you on that. Because I don't even have all the answers. Maybe there's an answer that I haven't thought of. And maybe there's a question that I haven't really been posed. And so I need to take time and pray and study the word of God. And let's talk about that again next time. Because that's a really good question. And I know we have an answer. Because his word is forever settled in heaven. You don't have to be intimidated by anything. You don't need to be a scholar or a theologian. You don't have to be some kind of a reputed uh, a philosopher. All you have to be is, is an individual filled with God's spirit. Hungry, hallelujah, for the word of God. And share it with the people that are calling upon you. To share with them the word of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I wonder if we could lift our hands to the Lord right now. Thank you, precious Jesus. Thank you, precious Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah, glory, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Blessed be the name of the Lord our God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I thank you, mighty God. 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 Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I wonder if we could stand to our feet right now in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Could we just come forward right now? We're going to just close this out with some, with some time together in the Lord. Hallelujah. Why don't you just come on down and, and just, just, just come on down here to the front. One of the greatest preachers that I ever heard preach and that greatly influenced my life was Brother J.T. Pugh. Brother J.T. Pugh was a, a mighty man of God. and He started churches and taught Bible studies. And, and uh, he's passed away now. But I remember being at his home. Actually at his son's home. And uh, I was preaching in Odessa, Texas for the Pugh family. And my wife and I and, and uh, Anna was a baby. We were in their home. And... Uh, I remember we ate dinner. I was so honored to be able to be with Brother J.T. Pugh. He, was, he was, had come in from Houston. He had been preaching in Houston, Texas. He came in to the, to the dinner, and we sat down around the table, and we all ate. And, and I was just honored to be able to be in his presence. He, he had such an influence on my life. I'll never forget when he got up from the table and began to clear the table while we were all talking and take the dishes over to the sink, and he washed every dish. I just thought that was pretty awesome because he was the greatest in the room before he did that to me. But when he did that, he was even greater. Because he that is greatest is servant of all. Brother C.G. Weeks of Louisiana uh, told the story of, of how he had preached a revival in Louisiana, a small little town. And it went several weeks, but there was no real 
positive that came from it. Except that there was a, there was one young man that received the Holy Ghost. Brother Weeks was so kind of embarrassed by the meeting because it was, it just wasn't his best, he felt. Of course, we measure things differently than God. So to us, a great revival, you got to have several people get the Holy Ghost, several people get baptized. That's, that's the greatest kind of revival. So Brother Weeks left that revival after three or four weeks, and one kid got the Holy Ghost, and besides that, nothing really happened, and he just felt like he failed the people. And he went on and just kind of forgot about it. But years later, at a general conference, a young preacher walked to him and said, Brother Weeks, it's a pleasure to meet you. He said, do you remember preaching a revival in such and such Louisiana? Brother Weeks said, oh, yeah. I remember, as a matter of fact, it was kind of an interesting memory because to him it was a dismal failure. He said, why do you ask? He said, uh, well, because I was in that revival. He, Brother Weeks said, I remember it well. He said, in fact, we had just one young man get the Holy Ghost. And this young preacher said, yes, that, that was me. I was the young man. And Brother Week said, well, son, what is your name? He said, my name is J.T. Pugh. <laughs> you don't know who you're going to teach Bible studies to and who they're going to teach Bible studies to and who they're going to reach and who they're going to preach to, who they're going to pray for. You're going to teach Bible studies to people who will walk up and down the halls of Cincinnati's hospitals and lay hands on sick people and see them healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Right now, they're addicted to drugs. Right now, they're, they're going through the most difficult time of their life. Right now, they might be suicidal. But when you get done opening up this fountain of life in their presence, hallelujah, it's going to change them. It's going to change them completely. It's going to change them completely. And it's going to change you as well. I teach that to have a proper relationship with the Word of God, to have a proper relationship with the Word of God, we need to read the Word. We need to study the Word, which is different than reading. You read and then you study what it is you've been reading. You need to memorize the Word. So don't just read it and don't just study it, but memorize Scripture so that you can hide it in your heart. You can quote it. And, and then obey the Word. You're not having a fruitful relationship with God's Word until you're obeying it. So you read it, you study what you've read, you memorize, and then you obey. Those are four of the five fingered ways of having a proper relationship with the Word of God. And the fifth is what we're dealing with in this meeting tonight, tomorrow. And it's this. Don't just read it. Don't just study it. Don't just memorize it. And don't just obey it. Teach it. Until you're teaching the Word, sharing the Word, then you don't have the depth of relationship you can have with the Word of God. There are things you will learn from teaching you won't learn from studying things you will learn from teaching you won't learn from memorizing you will be in the because this is how it happens and it happens to me often because I actually preach so constantly and it's amazing to me how I'll be preaching the word of God and I've got stuff planned to preach and then all of a sudden something will come out of my mouth I didn't know I didn't even have time to think about is that right because it's, it's out of my mouth and into the air before I know it because I've yielded as a vessel to the Lord. And, I, and I, you know that little prayer I pray? Lord, let your word have free course. That doesn't just mean, that's not just a little prayer I pray. I'm saying get me out of the way and get my brain out of the way so that your word can have free course. If there's something I don't understand, but you need us to understand, speak, Lord. Hallelujah. And he'll do that. And that happens from teaching the word. It's a deeper depth than any other relationship you will have with the Word of God. And you don't want to be, you don't want to be uh, uh, handling the Word of God carelessly. The Bible teaches us, handle the Word of life skillfully. This is why the seminar tomorrow, so that we can handle the Word of life skillfully. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Could you just reach out to somebody nearby right now and pray a prayer of anointing upon each one?
each of us. When Brother J.T. Pugh was living, the Lord moved on me to have him come and preach to First Apostolic Church. I had him preach, and when I had him preach, he said, I'll be passed on before God does what he's going to do in this congregation. But he said, I will play a part in what God is going to do in your future today. He laid hands on each and every individual in our congregation. And I want us to lay hands on each other right now in the name of Jesus. Because the Holy Ghost is going to have his way. The Holy Ghost is going to empower you and embolden you to do the work of God in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Open up your hearts right now. Open up your hearts right now and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak through me. Hallelujah. Use me. Use me. Use me, Jesus. Use me, Jesus. Let me share your word, Lord. Let me share your word, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let me share your word, God. In the name of Jesus. Lord, make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. In the name of Jesus, take away all fear. Take away all doubt. Help me be a servant of all. Help me be a servant of all. Hallelujah. Lord, we are not afraid of the spirit of Antichrist that is already in the world. For we have overcome them. Because greater is he, 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 greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. Come on, that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. In the name of Jesus. Come on, there's a prayer of anointing that you're praying over yourself right now that's going to come to fruition in the middle of a Bible study that isn't even scheduled yet. Hallelujah, but this prayer is going to be answered at just the right time and in just the right way. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Woo. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, Spirit of the living God, move right now in Jesus' name. Holy Ghost, have your way. Holy Ghost anointing, flow in the name of Jesus. Holy Ghost anointing, in the name of Jesus Christ. In the mighty name of Jesus, have your way, mighty God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Spirit of the living God, flow, flow freely. Flow freely, Lord. Without any hindrance, without any obstruction. In the name of Jesus. Holy boldness. Holy boldness move upon him in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Have your way right now, God. Have your way right now, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Open the windows of heaven. In the name of Jesus. Yes, mighty God. Do it, Lord, for your glory. For your glory, for your glory, for your glory. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mighty God, mighty God. Yes, Lord. The only of the Holy Ghost flow. The only of the Holy Ghost flow. In Jesus' name. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. In the Yeah. <laughs>